0: Is this like when you think teachers live at school? Yeah, you know, one hundred percent was
1: like the grade school. Like I thought
0: you you lived in at Century. Yeah, I do
1: upstairs in the balcony. I have a oh, little yeah. like cot. Peter Very lives comfy.
0: beneath the DJ booth. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like a troll. Cuddled <laughs> in the <DJ> <laughs> lost and found. It's a terrific
1: privilege to be able to introduce the next man and the next band that are arriving, because I think. Perhaps in all the history of jazz, there's never been anyone who has brought such excitement to music, such complete free-willing improvisation. In fact, I think so.
0: Hey Jazz Babies, welcome to the Jazz Babies podcast. My name is Chris, my pronouns are he, him.
2: Hey, <laughs> I'm Lou. My pronouns are they, them. Yeah,
0: and we're coming to you from the West Hall in Century Ballroom. Is it yeah, called Century Ballroom? The whole building yeah, is the called? Whole building. the whole building. Well, it's the Odd Century... building. You get it. Ka- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And we have the wonderful Lauren Smith.
1: Hi, friends. Hi, Lauren. What are your pronouns? She, her.
0: Yeah. You're wearing a lovely yellow polka dotted dress.
1: Felt like dots today all yeah. over.
2: With the, are you, is it Star Wars themed? you have Darth Vader earrings on as I well? Do.
1: This is one of maybe 30 pairs of star wars earrings that i have excellent yeah. 30? oh yeah i have way too many earrings oh my god and then the pandemic happened and i bought more mm.
2: <laughs> the earrings <laughs> were like the emotional support through the pandemic
1: yeah all the creators suddenly decided to sell them for like five or six dollars like just buy my crap so i can pay rent and i was like yes <laughs> i will i would like to support you and my habit of buying too many earrings <laughs>
2: In in my jazz very journey, I feel like you and your husband Peter and your like teaching partner peer, partner Peter is like pretty monolithic to me because I showed up in like November of twenty one two century just like to the drop in lesson, and then there's you and Peter just feeling like you've been there forever and like um and your cla- like that drop in class was just so funny and so tight and so inviting that it was, for me, I felt like the perfect way to like get entered into this thing. And I just sincerely thought that you and Peter had been teaching here forever. And then it was not too much later in my dance career that I was like, oh, they just moved to town. <laughs> They're brand right. new. They're not like these monoliths that I've, I mean, you guys are, but it's not Century Ballroom monoliths. So I'm pretty excited to learn like your history from where you've come from and then how you've ended up. A century?
1: Uh, well, I was born at a very young age. And <laughs> it's my favorite line that I stole from Peter. Uh, I started swing dancing actually when I was 10. Oh, uh, young. Very young. Uh, I always was dancing around. My mom could not keep me still. She put me in ballet, but I wanted to dance with people. I didn't just want to dance on my own. Uh, maybe that's anxiety, but I, I like to do art with people. I I spent my whole life in music, and I'm not very interested in singing on my own, but I love doing choirs with people. So at 10, my mom found cotillion of all stereotypical rich white people (laughs) things to put me in. Wait, what is that? Cotillion? Cotillion is where rich white people send their children to a country club, and they learn how to do social dancing, and they learn manners, so that someday they will marry these rich white people and make more of them.
2: Did you walk with like a book on your head
0: and...
1: Not quite. Okay. Not quite. Like Although debutante? I did do that in a different thing. It was not in Utah. That was Is actually. Is it
0: debutante? Like Debutantes, debutante balls? Kind of. Okay. Kind
1: of. Uh, really? It was at a country club in Pasadena, uh, Altadena, actually. And I learned how to do six count Lindy with actual triple steps oh. as a 10 year old uh, with a lot of the basic moves your turns, your pass bys, your send outs. And so I did that as a 10 year old. And then there were no other classes that I could find that weren't like an Arthur Murray kind of situation and I had learned a little bit of basic Waltz and Foxtrot and Cha Cha and Rumba in that setting as well and my mom at one point when I was 15 found these dance classes it was the Pasadena Ballroom Dance Association so that's Aaron and Tammy Stevens they're the people who brought Frankie out of retirement Mm. and taught with him so they're the people we have to thank for Frankie no longer working at a post office um, and so I did their first swing series. and went, wait a minute. I already know all of this stuff because it was the same beginner lesson. And I thought that's all that swing was. So mm. then I went and did ballroom. And oh. yeah, I did ballroom for four years. Um, and I liked it and I wanted to teach, but I didn't like that there wasn't a lot of innovation or room for styling. I hadn't really gone social dancing a ton. And I didn't like that a lot of the ballroom world kind of felt like, I, as a female, would always be the secondary teacher. Uh, so at one point in college, in a jazz music class, I got dragged to the local swing dance, which was Lindy Groove, the largest swing dance in the country at the time. And Really? Lindy Groove used to be the largest weekly swing dance in the country pre-pandemic. We get a couple hundred people every single week. Where do they fit? Well, it's a pretty big ballroom. Is it? I was oh, there yeah.
0: last for Camp Hollywood, and... Yeah, I
1: guess. Is that the San Diego one? What's the Lindy? It's
0: in Pasadena. In Pasadena. Oh, the Pasadena
1: it. Temple. Yeah, okay. Yeah, cool. so I went there with a friend, and I walked in, and there were people my age. And when I had done the classes when I was 15, I was the youngest person by about 25 or 30 yeah. years. Yeah, yeah. So to walk in and see a bunch of college-age people, Ooh. but also people my parents' age and my grandparents' age, all dancing together to music I recognized because I grew up listening to Benny Goodman. I was like, oh. I know this swing music and I like this and these are people I could get along with and I never went back to ballroom.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I started swing dancing seven nights a week not long after that.
0: Were you teaching, when did you did you start getting into teaching?
1: Uh, I probably started teaching not very well in about the first couple months after because I was so like frothing at the mouth excited. I Mm -hmm. wanted all my friends to do it. So I started teaching them and they were like, why are you strange? I don't want to learn this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I kept trying to teach people I kept trying to teach people. And the friends I was meeting saw that I was really excited to share this. And so they'd start to bring me in as an assistant and start to bring me in. So 2010 (sighs) was the first time that I had taught like regular weekly classes. That was at Azusa Pacific University. And so I started teaching there and then I started teaching at Lindy Groove with various teachers. And you're still, are you 20 yet in this story? Uh, I was 19 when I came to swing dancing.
0: Okay, so do you ID as a L.A. dancer? Very much. Right?
1: L.A., uh, for better or worse, has a lot of great things going for it. One of which is that there isn't really a culture of taking classes. Uh, That actually came about a lot more post-pandemic because people really missed being able to learn from each other on the social floor. But most people of my generation, Peter's generation, and kind of the generation right after didn't learn in classes. Mm -hmm. They maybe did a drop-in or the lesson right after, but everything else was learned on the social floor.
0: And when did you move up to Seattle again?
1: We moved uh, three weeks before the pandemic.
0: Three weeks pre-pan. Okay. So what would you say like the differences between the scenes are? I think that it's like more well, first of all, like farther apart because it's L.A. It's huge, okay. and you're driving everywhere. Uh, maybe more bar culture and more drink culture in L.A. in L.A.
1: Um, perhaps oh, there's dancing seven nights a week, multiple venues, um, and they're for a while because there's always drama in every scene. There's you know, people starting dances on the same night, like, oh, we're going to take this piece of the pie and we're going we're gonna to take over. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Um, there's a lot of places to dance. Some of them are bar situations. Most of them aren't. Most of them are actually dance studios or dance halls like this. Um, I think the biggest difference is numbers and length of time uh la because of hollywood had a lot of the swing dancers from the swing era still alive so the vast majority of people who were swing dancing in the swing era still lived there and so the people who were dancing in the swing revival were still getting to dance with those original dancers and hear all their curmudgeonly comments and you know glean whatever they could from them and just most of the other scenes globally didn't have that. So LA always had just a little bit different fire for the dance because they had original shag dancers and original bow dancers and original Lindy Hoppers in their city. So Dean Collins was still alive for a long time. So Sylvia, uh, Sylvia Sykes learned from Dean Collins and she's a SoCal person.
2: You're in California, yep. you're only like 20 and you're obsessed with swing dancing. Mm-hmm.
1: What happens next? From there I just kept dancing and dancing yeah. and dancing uh, because everyone learns on the social floor or most people learn on the social floor in SoCal I learned Lindy, Bubba and Shag all at once oh wow so you're a triple threat right from the beginning I was yes. a really bad triple threat though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite know what I was doing in any of them for a very long time until I started to do private lessons or travel to workshops uh, because I was just I could follow a weight change so I was just kind of figuring it out, and then as I asked more questions and tried to learn from people who were more experienced, I started to really kind of refine. I was really, really lucky that I was super curious about it, and the more advanced dancers who were in my city, who were Jeremy Oth and Jacob Wigger and Auggie Freeman and Sam Chan all saw that I was eager to learn. And so they would try moves on me Mm. and I would get to watch Laura Keat dance all the time. And Andrea Gordon dance all the time. And Karen Vizard dance all the time and just drool over their magic dancing and go, I want to look like that. Okay. What are they doing that I'm not doing? And then I could try it. then I could try it with professional teachers. Mm. Like I had Jeremy off at my weekly swing dance multiple nights a week.
2: That feels a little bit like how I
0: brag about the Seattle scene to other people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I like in LA it's just a different level.
1: There's just more full-time pro swing dancers in LA. Yeah. Mind you, there were a lot more before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to make a living teaching full-time in LA because there just aren't a lot of weekly classes that pay a living wage. Uh, Seattle really values classes and learning and getting into the nitty gritty of things. And so you can actually make a living teaching full-time locally in Seattle in any dance style. And that's just not really the case in LA. A lot of full-time teachers have to travel to
0: Mm -hmm, make a living, mm -hmm. which is
1: great. I mean, that's what a lot of us do is we travel to workshops, but it's hard to invest in your local scene if you're always out of town.
0: And when did you and Peter, Peter become partners?
1: 2014 was the first time that we taught together.
0: Ooh, 2014. And then you guys moved up here five, four years later. Was uh, the, 2020. Was the move up, oh, okay, uh, math. Uh, okay. Was the move up here because of that, like, or because Peter had roots up here, or did he have roots up here? A I don't whole know. mix. Uh, A whole his mix. family
1: is all right here. His mom's one freeway exit up, his brother's one freeway exit down, and his other brother's, like, four freeway exits past that. So his whole family's here he grew up here um but we wanted to open a dance school from the moment we started teaching together we wanted to open a school uh and that's just not really an option in la again because there just isn't really They're a culture separated. of taking classes yeah. past the beginner level mm-hmm. uh, there is now because a lot of the teachers went this is stupid <laughs> Wait, there's enough of us here let's make classes happen and they kind of demanded it it still doesn't pay well enough But there is, there are at least more consistent classes at a very high level now. Uh, and we wanted to open a school.
0: Y'all have such a great dance teaching dynamic. (laughs) Like you really share the floor as far as like, Mm -hmm. maybe at the most basic level, the speaking time, Mm -hmm. like you both talk over each other, not at the same time, but like pick up where the other person left off you guys have the same, it seems like you guys have the same goal and finish line here, or mm-hmm. like target. Yeah, you're- Do you have a teaching philosophy, yeah. like you personally? Yes. Like you've taught all around the world at this point.
1: And I've had a lot of teaching partners. I've taught with consistently six different people, including Jeremy Oth. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were very high-level leads. Uh, before I taught with Peter, I'd only had one teaching partner who valued what i had said and made it kind of a culture of lead and follow are equal parts i had always believed that because i i don't walk into the room thinking i as a follower am the dumb dancer right um and so i never understood classes that didn't have the followers be an active part so i always wanted that to be there and when peter had moved to la i knew that he taught he knew that i taught and we would just kind of chat The first time that we had met, which was a couple months before he moved down, we just talked and talked and talked about what we loved about the dance. And the reason he actually asked me to teach with him for the first time was because we shared so many of the same values of wanting to make sure that people dance as who they are, as people dancing how their bodies feel safe, dancing in an equal partnership. And because we talked about those values ahead of time, anytime that we teach anything even if it looks like i'm going off on a tangent we still have the same goal in mind even if we come at it from completely different approaches our goal is always how do we make this move comfortable or functional and a lot of teachers their goal is how many moves can i fit in a class our goal is how can we have you leave the room a more competent dancer even if you only learned one move can you do that move 500 times better than when you walked in the room then I did my job if you learned a bunch of crap that you can't reproduce afterward I didn't do my job I just kind of wasted your time
0: yeah I've recently said to my dance partner we gotta stop and this is a common saying we gotta stop doing moves till we get it right um instead we have to keep doing moves until it's impossible to get it wrong yep, and I was like we is. just have to fucking drive this into the ground till mm-hmm. it's like in our blood um essentially uh you just got back from bloody old London? Is that Bloody a- old London?
1: Bloody old London. Uh, bloody yeah, we got London. back in June. Or England? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'll be back in a month.
0: Really? Mm-hmm. What are you teaching out there?
1: Uh, Lindy, Balboa, and Shag. Yeah? And he'll probably end up teaching tap, because any time that we travel, Peter usually ends up doing a tap workshop as well. Peter taps. He does.
0: Peter he taps. He learned his
1: tap from Ginger Rogers' last dance partner. Whoa,
0: that's so cool. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. Are you guys going anywhere else?
1: Uh, We'll be in the UK, we'll be in Dublin. Uh, We'll be in Australia again next spring. Uh Uh-huh. May and maybe as early as April we're trying to get all the dates organized.
0: Yeah, is that really exciting? I love it. I love
1: Australia. The scene in Oz is so friendly. It's the lovely manners of the UK but they're all laid back like surfers, mm-hmm. and they're drinking the best coffee in the world. So yeah, the best coffee. They're just the friendliest scene. Coffee.
0: I in New York I used to work at an Australian coffee shop, and the coffee was so good. Yeah. Think
1: about it: all the refugees from the best coffee cultures in the world went to Australia. Oh, you got Italians, okay. you got people from Turkey, you've got people from North Africa, you've got people from various places in Asia who all have coffee culture. And they all went to the same place and went, I want a taste of home. Mm. Your gas station has better coffee than anything you'll find here in the States. Wow. It's nuts.
0: Hell yeah, it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> so are they mostly at events where you'll be teaching or is it just like uh, at a dance studio? Mostly event. events. What makes, a, in your opinion, what makes a good event? I feel like you've been to a lot of events.
1: Um, does it feel like it builds community or does it feel like it builds egos? And
0: <laughs>
2: an event
1: where it feels like we are more of a global community afterward than before, that's a great event. Doesn't matter how big or small it is. If it feels like at the end of it, everyone is pumped to be a part of this community and they saw something that's inspiring or they learned something that's inspiring. They had a dance or a conversation that makes them want to do this more and longer. That's a great event. Mm-hmm. Something that... Is elevating people for the sake of elevating people? Eh. Yeah. I love comps, but if it's comps for the sake of comps, meh. Yeah. Comps for the sake of inspiration, hell yes.
0: Yeah. How, what's how do you? What's an example of that?
1: Uh, there's a lot of ways. Um, a snowball is a great way to do that. Whether it's night one or night two, mm. that you know you've had your dance and about an hour in. You maybe introduce your teachers, and then you'll have them snowball, and they'll go find people. And then by the end of the song, everyone's dancing with everyone, Mm -hmm. and it's a nice kind of get the whole floor dancing together. Mm -hmm. So that's always a really fun one. Uh, Ballorado was a bubble event that was in its first year. Ballerado, Ballerado. I love the Balboa pens. Get really good. Aren't they real cute? Yeah. There's there's some great ones. More more cowbell. That's a great yeah.
0: one, Cowbell. Oh, Cowbell. Yeah. Sorry, Cowbell, I just got Cowbell. that.
1: Yeah. Did you think it was Cowbell or something?
0: I just thought it was like California Bell. like just like just California bubble Classic, Cowbell. Cowbell. Yeah. But Cowbell. Yeah, Sorry. there was a whole ad campaign. It was amazing. That's great. I'll, I'll send it to you. That's so funny.
1: Um, so, Colorado, everyone after was like, wow, it was so community-based, and this felt really cozy. It felt so cozy. And the same thing was said after Northwest Belfast so cozy it felt so warm and friendly and there were a lot of non-dance things that happened hey let's go hang out in the park for an hour and have a picnic because we often forget that it is social dancing and when i show up for a night of dancing at century ballroom sometimes i'm like i just want to dance every dance but someone's having the worst night of their life and so they choose me to talk to that becomes a social dancing night Mm -hmm. and that's that's fine that the community is stronger when there is social and there is dancing if there's just one or the other there's there's usually something wrong in the scene but if there's equal amounts of both the scene is strong that's one of the things i love about the seattle scene especially post pandemic seattle for years had the reputation of the seattle freeze Mm
2: -hmm. you know we
1: we kind of keep to our own and i i every time I go to an event and there are Seattle dancers there, I'm such a proud mom seeing y'all kind of take on all of the strays from the other scenes that don't have someone that they know. And Seattle's like, hey, come hang out with us. Mm-hmm. Hey, come be our friend. <laughs> like, oh, I'm so proud because y'all embody the social and dancing part of things. And you're so friendly. I think a lot of that has to do with the people who st- were teaching full time more regularly post pandemic all of us are friends and all of us support each other we all really respect each other and we try and show how to be supportive and respectful of each other and i think that reflects into our students and seeing that you know kind of spread at every single event is like hell yes that is what that is the legacy that i want my scene to have as the friendly welcoming scene that is also a triple threat scene, because y'all do your Lindy Bell and Shag, mm-hmm. that, that is what we wanted when we moved here, was to create an even more welcoming scene and make y'all triple threat dancers. <laughs> Love that.
0: Was it hard for you to feel like you were, like, welcome to the scene if you came four weeks before pandemic? Um, How was your experience?
1: Yes and no uh the scene pre-pandemic was really really comp focused but that was also globally where a lot of scenes were shifting uh because of YouTube happening the last 15 years of dance has been so focused on comps oh, yeah that social dancing kind of took a back seat as far as values and comp partners would dance a lot with each other and sometimes with other people and Seattle was right in among them of really just kind of focusing on how badass can i dance and not so much about are we sharing this experience with each other instead of showing off at each other and so i mean i didn't necessarily feel unwelcomed but it was it wasn't even a culture shift because la was doing that kind of same thing um i was lucky that we had been coming up and doing workshops here for a number of years so i knew some of the dancers uh but It definitely there was a shift post pandemic that because we didn't have each other for a number of years, I think everyone was just excited to be dancing again. Mm. And I feel like the scene is so excited to just be in the room with other people that they're like, hey, do you want to dance? Do you want to dance? And one of the healthiest things that has happened is the scene just kind of meets you where you're at now, Uh, whether you're in L.A. or Seattle or any number of cities. If you didn't come out for a night of dancing or a week of dancing people would be like are you okay do do you not like this anymore Like, no i'm taking a week for myself or i'm on vacation like things are cool Mm -hmm. and now if it's no i'm just i'm taking a week off everyone's like cool see you when you're back love you miss you Mm -hmm. and there isn't this weird social pressure of like you have to go dancing every night of the week or or you're not a badass i feel like the scene globally and especially in seattle is like yeah Do the dance, approach the dance, however it makes you happy right now, and that's okay.
0: Do do you feel you get as much love in Seattle compared to like when you travel abroad? Because in your home, I guess it's not your home scene, I guess it's just your home scene. Yeah. Totally.
1: It's my home scene now and I love it.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, It depends. I, I feel like Seattle feels like the welcoming of family. And when you teach in an event and you're the visiting teacher, there's this weird sense of celebrity. Hmm. They're like, Oh my God, Peter and Lauren are in town. They're so cool. And it's like, we're the biggest nerds in the room. (laughs) We're the biggest dorks that you've ever met. I don't think you understand. And so there's this weird sense of not wanting to burst that bubble, but also wanting to burst that bubble because we're just a bunch of dorks. And it's really lovely when we come home to our swing dance family to just be like, Hey guys, I'm gonna dance however. I don't need to perform for you. I don't need to set a standard. I can just be, so and that feels true. amazing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> that's, that's a great point. I guess this is kind of a different question. Not really too much off of what you were just saying, um, but it just came up in my head. Um, comps, uh, some people say that uh, they kind of make everybody kind of dance the same way, mm-hmm. um, whereas LA has, had, has, a very specific style Mm -hmm. of L.A. swing dancing, Mm -hmm. L.A. style. Um,
1: Depending on the year. Depending
0: on the year. (laughs) Do you still feel like an L.A. style dancer? I mean, dancing mostly in Seattle right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, L.A. style, if I could wrap it up in one word, whether you're doing Lindy Bell or Shag, L.A.'s legacy is connection. It's all about having some amount of connection throughout the dance as opposed to dropping the connection and then building it back up and a lot of that dropping the connection was kind of a misinterpretation of things that some of the Harlem dancers were doing and an excessive connection was a misinterpretation of what Dean Collins was doing that's when you got Hollywood style versus Savoy style you got the style wars and depending on what year you were in LA <laughs> One was cool and one wasn't. Mm. Um, So when I dance with somebody who feels like an LA dancer, in quotes, it's somebody who feels like they're maintaining some level of connection. Even if on a scale of one to 10, that's a one. That's still on, not off. Zero would be a dropping of the connection. But I don't need 10. Maybe if we're doing a really crazy move, maybe 10, but probably not. And Seattle at a time was trying to honor the Harlem dancers. And there was this sense of, especially with Seattle being this very equal rights feminist city, there was a big push for the follower's voice that Mm -hmm. happened in Seattle 10, 15 years ago. Uh, And it happened to the degree that leaders just kind of stopped because they were trying to give space to their follower. But that was a misinterpretation of how the, the dance works it's not a giving space and taking space it's we share space Mm. sometimes I'll take a little more of it or you'll take a little more of it but we're still sharing space the whole time it's not that you're keeping it and then giving me some and a lot of leaders are misinterpreting that and then just kind of stopping and dropping the connection thinking that that gave the follower room to style and do stuff but what that actually does when the connection drops is the follower goes I don't know how much time I have to do this thing. I don't know when you're suddenly going to start leading things again and if I'm going to get hurt. So then we have to disconnect from you. Then we're both ignoring each other for an indeterminate amount of time. And a lot of it was just misinterpretations because this is not a codified thing. It's a street dance. And we didn't start having regular group classes until 30 years ago.
0: Interesting, I was learning that as a follow, if I kind of want to play out and open for a little bit, Mm -hmm. to kind of loosen up and like let go, like drop a bit of my connection, and then when I want to maybe be like brought back in or something, re-engage.
1: So I'll use the conversation analogy with you. So if we're talking and you really want to get a point in, you're not going to start suddenly mumbling to make sure that I hear that you want to say a thing. You're going to start talking more clearly to make sure that I can hear that you have a different point to make. So you're actually going to be clearer with your diction and what you want to say. Mm -hmm. So I actually, when I'm making a change, Lindy, Val, Shag, I increase my connection so my leader can hear every step that I'm making so they can make safe choices for themselves and me. If I disconnect, I'm not letting them hear all the choices I'm making, which means they don't get to be a part of it and they don't know when to safely do the next thing. Mm -hmm. which puts me at risk and them at risk but here's the thing i come at it from i'm more interested in the partnership and some dancers are more interested in the two solo dancers who are meeting in the middle sometimes Mm -hmm. and some dancers are interested in the two becoming one i'm i'm in that camp both camps are valid and both camps give people joy i just i know how i dance on my own I'm not really interested in how I solo dance, I'm interested in how me plugging into your brain and you plugging into my brain makes a whole new brain that comes up with all sorts of crazy stuff to that song on this floor that might be slippery or not in these
0: shoes yeah. with
1: this amount of caffeine.
0: So cool, <laughs> so cool. Um, you mentioned Style Wars, and yeah. will you talk a little bit, a little bit about the Style Wars? You're dressed vintage. Lovely. I am. Um, for people who don't know what the Style Wars were, uh, would so, you speak on that? Yeah. You were uh, in LA during that time.
1: I, I was not. Anymore. I was in LA in, in the after effect. I got to see the battleground post battle mm-hmm. um, and, and hear all the crap talking. But mm-hmm. I was afterward. Uh, my husband lived through it and just kind of was like, all right, cool. What's in vogue this time? Great. I'll adjust my swing out again. Um, basically, there were the people who just kind of figured it out and learned. And then people learned from frankie and that was considered savoy style because from the savoy ballroom right and then there were the people who started to study the videos of dean collins and so they were doing more of what they called smooth style or hollywood style and there were ideas of well we have to stay squared to each other all the time and and we're not doing all the pulse that the savoy dancers were doing a lot of the extra pulse that was happening in Savoy style was that Frankie was teaching a bunch of ballroom dancers in the 80s who didn't pulse mm. so there was more pulse there and basically each style was at an extreme of just trying to get people functional and it became this full thing where people would fight and like oh Hollywood style sucks no Savoy style sucks but if you're actually a competent partner in either of those styles You can have a comfortable dance, Mm -hmm. just like you can have a comfortable conversation with a Scottish person and an Australian person. They're speaking the same language, but with different accents.
0: Yeah. And this was also the height of, uh, I feel like blog culture too? It was the height of the
1: revival. So this would have been in your 1998 through your 2003
0: and four-ish. Would you also talk about vintage dressing and like the problematic, Parts of like vintage lifestyle Same. and where that, like, where those lines are drawn, and like, yeah, and like the difference between
2: that. the California because we just went to um Camp Hollywood, yeah, and at least I know had a little bit of culture shock with the amount of vintage that was down there, and yep. that culture is just less present here. Yep. So, you're like our vintage California ambassador. Could you <laughs>
1: <laughs> help us understand a little bit more? I feel like Taylor Sender and I are like the lone pinups, um, so. I like vintage because I just have always liked vintage. I've had vintage in my closet since I was a baby because my mom just put her vintage in there and my grandmother's vintage. So it was just what I wore. And then over time in my teens, I was like, oh, this is an actual thing that people do. Okay, cool. And then I got a little more into 40s, 50s vintage style as I got more into swing dancing. Um, the modern vintage vintage, style world approaches it as a vintage style not vintage values yeah um I I take it when I'm wearing either reproduction clothing or vintage clothing especially vintage clothing as this article of clothing gets to live another life this somebody wore it at one point maybe they went dancing in it maybe they saw you know Dean Martin sing in a concert or they danced to Count Basie in it and now it gets to keep living How freaking cool is that, that I get to bring history with me? Were there a ton of horrible things in history? Yeah, those are not the things I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating the cool music, pretty clothes, a lot of the terrible recipes, some of the good cocktails, (laughs) and the beautiful (laughs) shoes. So it's Seattle, it depends on when you were dancing. Ten years ago, a lot more people were wearing Mm -hmm, vintage, mm and it it goes in waves uh, globally as well. So currently we're in the high slit skirt and metallic boots.
2: I got my gold boots on right now. Yep. Uh-huh. I yeah. don't have a high slit skirt the, on with the buttons down the side. The
0: oversized have. overshirt that are buttoned at the top. Oversized the overshirt is yeah. really and crop, thing tops. Right now. Crops? crop tops. Crop
2: tops. Yeah. I have a crop tops. In 07 when I started,
1: on. they were cool. They're now cool again. uh Front slit skirt was super cool in my first couple years of dancing. I wore my fishnets and my front slit skirt. <laughs> Uh, Yeah. Anyway, Hmm. there's pictures. I'm sure you can find them online. They're interesting. But (laughs) vintage, uh, it depends on what style you're in. The Balboa world embraces a bit more vintage because we had a lot more of the original dancers Hmm. still alive and dancing regularly when the teachers who are around today were learning. And so that was just a part of when you go dancing, you get dressed up because that's what their teachers did and the lindy world especially but the whole swing world is always at the forefront of social change and so as we you know take ownership of our bodies as women and non-gender style shifts and so it just kind of it depends on where the dance culture is in that time uh i wear vintage because i like it because when i put on jeans and a t-shirt i go wow i look like i put no effort in and I see other people in jeans and a t-shirt and I'm like, damn, they look so cool. <laughs> I want to look that cool. I, I don't see my body looking cool when I wear jeans and a t-shirt, but when I wear a dress, I'm like, that looks like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and there's, there was a big thing that blew up a couple of years ago about like vintage is, you know, forcing people to wear what, wear what you want. Yeah. If you feel happy and you feel like you look sexy and fancy in your sweatpants, wear your damn sweatpants. I want you to wear what makes you feel welcome in a dance space that doesn't mean look like me it means look like you
0: be yourself
1: be yourself be happy
0: um I I want to ask Balboa baby questions baby Balboa questions
2: you yeah this is a great person to be asking Balboa I have a,
0: a baby Balboa question if I don't know if you have a question no go ahead baby Balboa talking here um from a Balboa perspective, from a Lindy Hopper's perspective, looking at Balboa, from the follower, it looks like they have less chance to express themselves.
1: I have so many opinions. Um,
0: <laughs> that's just what it looks like from my know-nothing point of view. Uh, you have so many opinions. What are some of your opinions?
1: So a lot of Lindy Hoppers, when they look at Balboa, they look at that as very constricting because there's just more connection involved all the time, and Lindy Hop. We're enclosed some of the time and we're in open at least half the time, right? We're always moving to Mm -hmm. an open position. And especially with comp culture, there's a lot of like, I have to rush to open position because then I get to show off my cool styling. Mm. And that can very much seem like Balboa because it's so closed that you don't have as much opportunity. But I actually feel like the opposite I feel like because there's more contact and connection, I can feel what's happening in my partner's body more consistently, which means I know when I have more opportunities to style because I can feel them more. When I just have a hand and I'm in open position in Lindy Hop, I don't feel like I have as much information as when I have a closed position or two hands touching. And I feel like my partner has more information so they have more opportunities to style as well so it's a controversial opinion but i feel like anytime that you have more contact you have more opportunities to style Mm. whether that's in lindy hop, bubble or shag anytime you're in a more open position and there's less contact can you take opportunities sure but there's always slightly more risk because there's just less information coming in nuts yep a little bit
0: (laughs) i would love to i wish we had like we could watch videos together and be like, this is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh.
1: For a future episode. Yeah, for a
0: future episode. Um,
1: for the vlog. Yeah.
0: There you go. <laughs> I heard something along the lines that like, Peter's art of social dancing talk got you back into dancing, social dancing, or like re- re-inspired your social dancing or for your social dancing, blah, 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 blah. Um, Are there times you thought you'd quit?
1: A lot of times. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, the idea that you never plateau without quitting is bs every dancer who's been around for more than five minutes plateaus that's just how any hobby goes you do it for a while you kind of do the same thing over and over and you you just hit a rut and then something inspires you or something makes you want to step away for a month or a week or a year and then you come back to it with fresh eyes Mm -hmm. that was a really nice thing about the pandemic crap i was working on that wasn't quite working whether it was moves or techniques your brain is really smart and it keeps problem solving and then when you come back to it a week a month a year later it's already problem solved a lot of that whether you've been physically doing it or not and so a lot of the problems i had been playing with had solved themselves just that little bit more so stepping away for a little bit is never a bad thing because your brain's still going to be working on that problem and when you come back to it have fresh eyes and probably fresh legs because you're not dancing like seven nights a week (laughs) um yeah I've there have been times when I was just kind of done uh I was teaching with some not very encouraging partners at various times and I didn't really feel like I knew how to dance with a beginner dancer on the social floor and give them an honest follow experience of they weren't quite leading a move so I was left with the well, I can either not do the thing that they're not leading or I can fill in the gaps and I either felt like I was being a jerk and just being mean or I felt like I wasn't being a good teacher because I wasn't giving them the opportunity to learn from their mistakes and it was such a catch-22 I didn't know what to do and Peter's talk talked about you know, how do you dance with somebody who's newer than you are? How do you dance with somebody who's more advanced than you are? What are the different tools that you can put into place? And that gave me the resources because it's not a thing that we talk about. It's just kind of a like, oh, well, you just, you know, you get to a point where you don't dance with beginners anymore. Well, then your scene's never gonna grow. So uh, I really appreciated that his talk didn't make me feel like I was crazy <laughs> in having those feelings because we all do. We just don't talk about them.
0: Is that when you guys started dating?
1: (laughs) 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 No. The talk was recent,
2: and yeah, that's more recent. I do want to hear... No, he's
0: been doing that talk for a while.
2: For a while?
1: Yeah. Yeah. He started that talk in 2011. Oh. Yeah, 2010 or 2011.
0: I had one question that was like, things you'd like to see more in the Seattle scene?
1: So, I think every teacher worth their salt wants their students to look like
0: themselves
1: and not to look like their teachers um and i feel like that's a great goal for all of us but wear your first pair of clothes you know the the clothes that your parents give you you're going to try those on and then you're going to start to explore other styles oh maybe i like this orange coat oh maybe i like these shoes and you're going to try and build your style but you're always going to start with your teacher so i always want my students to look like themselves and not me um but I feel like until people try out lots of different teachers, they're always going to be exploring. One of the things I really love about the Seattle scene is that our students all take from everybody. I love that, you know, we'll have BAL students in here on Tuesday, and then they're over at Swing It right after, and they're over at uh, SCT. They're taking BAL everywhere, they're taking Lindy everywhere, they're taking Shag everywhere, and there's this sharing of ideas I love that I always want to see more of that because not a lot of scenes have that sense of camaraderie between the schools and I love that Mm -hmm. uh what would I like to see more of I always want more people doing all three dances I always want more Lindy Val and Shad always 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 uh I always want more DJs I always want more people showing up and supporting live music uh the thing I would wish for Seattle is we're kind of the cult of practice we we are a scene that uh because we have so many tech people so many scientists so many software engineers we're very analytical and so we as a scene the way that we get passionate about the dance is did I meet my practice hours for the week and reminding ourselves that practice isn't everything the social floor is the best practice you'll ever get because mm-hmm. it's all different people and it's not the same thing over and over with the same person in the same frustrations it's a nice way to just kind of try your new weird move or not just have a nice night of dancing uh i think that we sometimes forget that practice isn't everything it's important but it, nothing makes for a better dancer than just going out social dancing i love that it's really good what
2: do you have coming up next? Like, what's the next big thing for you on the horizon?
1: Uh, lots of teaching. Yeah. Lots of travel. Um...
0: You placed at Camp Hollywood.
1: I. <laughs> oh wait, where? Oh, I don't remember. I, finled. I, I camp camp Hollywood. Camp Hollywood. Was it at a Balboa? Where did you? Uh, oh. I finaled in Balboa and Shag
2: amazing I have to go watch
1: those finals I don't think
2: I got to see those in person
1: it was it was a hope it was not a plan because it was two weeks after a car accident and so I pushed myself a little further than was probably wise and made myself compete in a lot of things and my goal was just basically show my values Mm -hmm. dance with my partner show what I love about the dance and have a nice time um so my goals were very (laughs) minimal (laughs) of have a nice time if I make finals cool if I don't make finals I was in a car accident whatever (laughs) um and I don't get to compete very often which is why I did make myself compete because I'm usually the judge I'm usually Mm -hmm. teaching at an event so I don't get to compete as often as I'd like Uh, so when I get those opportunities I try and take them as far as with next for us uh, in our perfect world we'll open a dance school next year
2: oh okay
1: yeah Uh, we're We're in the early trying to figure out if that's a thing we can make happen, uh, which would be super exciting, but there's nothing concrete other than just kind of figuring out what would it look like? What Mm -hmm. would the floor plan be? What would the financial side of things be? Who would we have teaching for us?
0: What would the name be?
1: I can't tell you, but I've known what the name would be for the past four years. Oh God, I bet it's
0: really punny and
1: good. It's really punny and good and it honors an original dance space oh, well, so when we open it you'll get to see
0: it so listeners submit your guesses <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's funny it's good honors an og dance space
1: my australian dancers will know what it is That's the only thing aussie I'm dancers will oh, know what it is um All right.
0: last question what were your thoughts on control alt dance i just watched it yesterday <laughs>
1: Do you <laughs> <notice this movie? laughs> I'm sorry, Dex and Sarah. I haven't watched your movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't actually watched it. Um, I'm bad. I haven't watched it.
0: It's, it's So I have no opinion. It's bad, but it's bad in a good way. All
2: right. I think that's it for today's jazz babies. Yeah, um, we're gonna words. go dance in Century Ballroom. Get out of West Hall. And- go enjoy the rest of the social, the Wednesday night social.
1: Awesome. Uh, Yeah, what I would leave you with is, I hope to be dancing with you in 80 years, 90 years. Whatever you need to do to keep doing this dance, please do, because I want to be dancing with all of you forever.
0: So if you want to learn Lindy, uh, bow, tap, shag, where can people, or DJ, where can people reach you?
1: Uh, We teach at Century Ballroom, and we also teach on the east side in Bellevue. We have uh, weekly classes. All of our classes' information is on PeterLaurenDance.com. It's where you can find where we are teaching all over the world. You would not be the first students to fly across the world and take a workshop from us. Hey. (laughs) That's happened. Yeah. Um, But all of our information is there as far as weekly classes and privates and such. Thank you so much.
2: much.
0: All right. Have a good one. Mm -hmm. Baby is going to jump and shout. Right, right. I know my baby's gonna jump and shout when the train rolls up and I come walking out. Oh.